This episode of Win or Die is brought to you by Alamo Drafthouse. For handcrafted cocktails, chef-driven menus, and programming ranging from the classics to the latest Marvel action, all with zero talking or texting interruptions, there's only one place to go. Alamo Drafthouse, the best film, food, and drink, all in one seat. For movies and showtimes, visit drafthouse.com. There's not many reasons in this show to smile, usually, and here is one, and we should just take it and love it and hold it in our hearts, Joe. <laughs> Be oh, bad. That's adorable, man. My name is Joe Gross. I am the film and culture critic for the Austin American Statesman. And I'm Phil Jankowski, City Hall reporter slash giant nerd. And we are the hosts of Win or Die, analyzing Game of Thrones, the final season, which is a podcast series examining the final season of Game of Thrones over the next six weeks. We are going to be talking about all things Game of Thrones, which means spoilers and adult themes. So be warned. Hey, folks, welcome to Win or Die, analyzing Game of Thrones, the final season. And we are on episode 69, and we don't have time to make a joke there, so we're just going to get right into it. Just know that, you know, that comes up a lot, as it were. So the opening credits show the army of the dead have taken Last Hearth, and they're on a clear path to Winterfell. And we open on Jamie standing tall before the man, and the man is Danny. Yeah, and very, very quickly, he basically is kind of sort of on trial but then you know danny's like well you killed my dad santa's like yeah you basically uh, attacked my uh, father in the streets but then brianne comes out and says this is an honorable man i vouch for him and hey everything's cool yeah which danny is really not crazy about it looks for about 15 seconds like they actually agree on something another tremendous bit of that uh, scene is when bran quotes jamie back to him yes uh, the things we do for love which is what <laughs> he's been taking notes. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he is the ultimate note taker, which is what Jamie said to him right before he shoved him out a window, which was justifiable in no way, even though we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, Brienne is uh, into defending Jamie. She's obviously in love with him. We don't know if Jamie knows that or has a clue or really how he understands his relationship with her. Danny is not crazy about Sansa saying, all right, Jamie can stay. Or the fact that John is clearly preoccupied and doesn't really care. Right. And and it's obvious yeah. that, he, that, that he doesn't care. But yeah, she's basically like, what do you think, Lady Sansa? Oh, yeah, I'm cool with it. How about you, John? He's like, whatever, fine. Yeah. And, you know, she even says, how do I know this guy's not going to slit my throat? And uh, Tyrion's like, well, he's my brother. He's an honorable man. And she's like, Tyrion, you've been wrong about everything for the past like six episodes. For, <laughs> yeah. Who knows how long? It's not a it's not a great look. And Tyrion gets absolutely dressed down in the hall by Danny. And it looks like she's kind of had it with him, his hand to the king. And, and he knows it. And he knows it. He's, he's, he literally says to Jorah and to Varys, he says, I think one of you two might have this job in a little bit. Yeah. Down in the forge, Gendry is making stuff. And he is like, 
hilariously covered in steam and sweat and is just like, <laughs> you know, generally really good looking guy, like hammering metal and, uh, you know, everybody's home sort of fanning themselves. Yeah. I literally just was looking over my notes after, uh, watching the episode and all I wrote down was steamy Gendry. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, and Arya's here for it, man. He, she just sort of like pops into the forge and he says something like, don't you have something better to do? And you ju- you expect her to say, actually, no, I'm just going to stare at you shirtless for a while. <laughs> uh, but she recovers and says, you know, did you make my weapon? And Gendry tells her there are like a billion people in front of you. And there's it's an interesting moment to see her sort of snap to being a warrior. And Gendry's not. Gendry's a guy who can fight, kind of. Mm-hmm. But he's not a warrior. Uh, well, Arya's kind of- a killer. He's kind of actually he's kind of grilling her on her bona fides a little bit because at first she's like, have you killed a White Walker? What's it like? Which she goes through a similar line of questioning later in the episode. But and he's kind of like, "Ah, why do you I know you want to fight, but whatever. And then she just starts throwing these these things and, and he's like okay you're 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 get, you're we're moving you up to well, the front of the line yeah it was i mean it was interesting she's she's really talking she's trying to get details from him about mm-hmm. the white walkers because she is you know is a is trying to think tactically and gendry's like it sucks you know death is what they're like and you know if there's one thing that Arya stark is familiar with it's death absolutely uh, the next scene, we see um, Bran hanging out at his favorite tree, and Jamie approaches him and apologizes for you know chucking him out the window. And Bran is no longer human, and sort of is taking a very literal god's eye view of all this. And he's like, "Look, I'm not angry. You did what you did. There's no point in being mad about it. And if you hadn't done it, I wouldn't have evolved. You wouldn't have evolved, and we wouldn't be here now. Very different people, and both and better people for it." Yeah, I am incapable of anger. Yeah, he's he goes full, you know, he goes full computer and reminds Jamie that there might not be an after the war. That I mean, Bran can't see the future, right? Right. He can only see the past, but he can see all of it. Yeah. So he's in, yeah, he's sort of, you know, as, as they talk about later, sort of like the official historian for humanity. Uh, after that, Tyrion runs into Jamie, And we should note that if this sounds, you know, that we're just sort of clicking through stuff, that's the way the episode works. It's a bunch of two-handers and three-handers and then a closing scene that involves like four or five people. And it's, yeah. it's just an hour's worth of character work. There's almost no violence. There's some, a very significant emotional bonding. And you know, it's an incredibly sweet episode, but it is just all these two-handers and three-handers. So I just want to make that that note. If it sounded like we were skipping action, we're not. It's just people talking to each other. So Tyrion runs into Jaime, and they really haven't had time to talk yet, other than Tyrion attempting to defend him at the Great Hall. And they talk about their sister and, and how awful she is. And Jamie's like, you know, she's always been good at using the truth to tell lies. And Tyrion's like, dude, she sucks. She's always sucked. <laughs> you don't care. And that's fine. And but I, let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. And and there's the part where, where, where Jamie says, ah, she lies. She lies to all of us. And Tyrion's like, you know who she is. Yeah, you've always you've known. always known. And you loved her in spite of that. But then Jamie's like, oh, what's over there? Yeah, he sort of pieces out of the conversation and looks over the parapet at Brienne, who is surveying the troops. And you are reminded that nobody is ever going to love Jamie as much as Brienne does, yeah. whether he knows it or not. And so he goes downstairs and they start to chat. And she essentially says, why are you no longer being a jerk to me? Like you spent our entire journey being a jerk. 
and you're not anymore. And I don't quite get it. And Jamie essentially says, I'm a different guy. I'm not the warrior that I once was. I need a commanding officer that knows me. And I think you should be that person. Right. He's, he's ready to serve under her. Yeah. And it, it just, it struck me. That scene struck me as very Star Wars-ish in that by the time Jedi rolls around, there are all of these people who are rebels who are now in positions of authority. Like Han Solo was never really designed to lead troops. And by the third movie, he's ordering people around as is Lando. And it just, it just struck me as this is kind of a rebellion against death and so everybody is sort of stepping up and maybe punching above their weight. Our next scene is Jorah and Danny. And, you know, Jorah's just happy to be there. That guy had a death sentence and he's suddenly in the mix again. Yeah. And he he comes to defend Tyrion, which is a bit of a surprise because he says, you named, when I heard you named him Hand of the Queen, it broke my heart. And, and she says, well, he's been making mistakes. And he says, well... People make mistakes. He learns from them. Yeah. This man has a strong mind, and it's very interesting to see Jorah defending a guy that he says that he wasn't so sure about. And then he says, also, I've got another little bit of advice to you. Maybe it's time to go make nice nice with well, Sansa. Well, I'm not entirely sure if that's what he says. I think that's we, absolutely what he says. I mean, it, it probably is because they immediately cut to mm -hmm. Sansa and, and Danny. But, you know, they, they leave it deliberately ambiguous. Maybe he's saying, for me, there was also a callback to that scene later at the War Council when she says to Tyrion, you got to hide in the crypt because I'm going to need you when this is over. Mm -hmm. you, can't, I, I, you can't be dead. So you think maybe he said, we got to toss Tyrion into the crypt? May, maybe, I, maybe both. Mm, maybe okay. both. That, and then the next scene is you get this epic two-hander between Sansa and Danny, where Danny tries to turn on the charm. Yeah, and seems like it's working. You know, uh, first they're at first they're they're far back, and then they lean forward a little bit. Then they're clutching hands, and then Sansa says, "After this is all done, what's going to happen?" Well, yeah, and I think it's a good reminder that Danny's bolt works on men and kind of doesn't work on women. That's right. She says so. I think that that might be a callback all the way back to when Sansa was during the, the Battle of Blackwater Bay and she's down sort of in like the basement of yeah, uh, totally. of, of King's Landing with Cersei. Cersei says to her, a woman's weapon is between her legs and basically sort of explains how women are able to manipulate men with, with their you yeah, know attractiveness. And yeah, and... Sansa is somebody else who learned a lot from awful situations, like mm -hmm. Tyrion. Absolutely. Um, and, as we are reminded in the next scene, like Theon, who shows up. And this is the first time we see Sansa truly happy to see somebody. Yeah. And the thing that I thought was striking about this is that Danny realizes nobody likes me the way that like Theon likes Sansa. Yeah. And it's not romantic. It's that they're siblings and they haven't seen each other in forever. And Sansa knows that Theon went through hell with Ramsay the same way she did. And uh, they're bonded in that and way. And they're yeah. totally bonded. I just want to say about the, this, this scene is that it, it really affected me more than I was expecting. I've been kind of a Theon hater for, for quite a while, and I think a lot of people are, but this was one of the first times that like I saw him on screen and was like, Oh, Theon's back and, and it's and it's nice and and I'm actually like feeling the the emotion of all this. I mean, when they embrace it, it's to me 
Well, it's almost it's up there for this episode in one of the most emotional affecting scenes, but yeah. it was definitely it was definitely a, a heartwarming scene. Yeah, and he's here. It's funny when he looks at Danny and says, "My queen." Yeah, he's not here for her. Right. He's here for the Starks. Yes. He wants to, he says in the previous episode, I want to fight for Winterfell. Yeah. We check in on Davos Seaworth, the uh, nicest man in Winterfell, mm-hmm. handing out gruel yeah. to the citizens of the town around the castle who are just, you know, average people, average serfs who are probably going to be cannon fodder sooner rather than later. And then a child with one of the most egregious northern slash Irish accents we've heard in a long time <laughs> pops up. Hello, and, I'm a fighter. But, yeah, but and, it's, but and it's even more. And you're well, you're reminded that they're filming in Belfast. It's like even yeah. it's more Irish than that. <laughs> and this kid clearly, that was an awful Irish accent. I just did. There. The, yeah, it was. Uh, Clearly, this kid reminds him of Shireen. Absolutely. I mean, she's got the uh, she's got what looks like a burn scar on her face, and he's immediately affected by it. And Gilly comes in to sort of save the day because this little girl's like, "I want to be on the front lines." And Gilly shows up. Hi, Gilly, and is like, "Oh, we need you to protect us down in the right. crypts, the crypts, the crypts, the safest place during this upcoming battle." And uh, Gilly is another example of somebody who sort of leveled up leadership wise absolutely and then we get a fan favorite moment when Tormund and his boys show up and Tormund has both good news and hilarious news when he essentially says we've got about a day before the white walkers show up and then in a magnificent shot of christopher hivshu he turns around and says is the big woman still here (laughs) and clearly talking about Brienne. Yeah. That dude's comic timing is magnificent. Yeah. And I think there's a reason that like he's stuck around in this show for so long because they've sort of like, as you can see with Liana Mormont, you know, they recognize how wonderful this guy is. He's great. They're like, we got to keep this. He's totally great. And uh, so we get our first war council, like first ever war council with this is, everybody. Yeah, and th- yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a really cool to sort of. I, I I was looking at a still of it and was just like, wow, that's 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 basically everyone. That's yeah, freaking it was, amazing. It was, and that also reminded me of that scene in in Star Wars where they're all looking at the big map and it's yeah, like, well, the yeah, Death Star's yeah. here and we're here and we're doomed. And John essentially says, many what was it? Many crows died for this information. Yes, exactly. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Totally. John says they're really hard to kill. I don't really know how to do this. And then Bran says, I think I have an idea. The Night King ultimately wants me because he wants to destroy humanity and I'm the memory of humanity. Mm -hmm. Uh, If I go hang out at my favorite tree, he's going to expose himself and go straight for me. Right. Theon says, I will protect you, which is basically Theon saying... I'm going to sacrifice my life because I'm going to get extremely killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to death predictions, but uh, I think you're probably on yeah, point it's, there. It's kind of it's tough. And Danny sends Tyrion down to hide with the kids. Yeah, he's not happy about it, but she explains how valuable he is, and I think that resonates with him, especially about how vulnerable he's been feeling about his skills. Of yeah, late. Uh, yeah. His skill set is important but limited. While Tyrion and Bran bro down for a little while, Missandei tries to be nice to some Winterfell kids and they look at her in an extremely problematic way yeah and run and gray worm has smarts to walk up to her and say like look if we win if we don't die we got to get out of here yeah like we're not particularly welcome here it's cold and miserable let's bounce nobody likes us nobody likes us it's ridiculous and then we start we sort of start to ramp up the emotional intensity of the two-handers that we're seeing sam and john run into each other on the parapet Dolores Ed shows up. And Ghost. 
And ghost. And ghost. Sorry. And ghost pops up. <laughs> Very exciting. I missed it the first time I even watched it. When I rewatched it, I saw him and I got I got excited. My heart fluttered even. I hadn't seen that that That's adorable. Big, beautiful dog That's in so cute. long. I just I like the idea of you standing up like on your couch. <laughs> it's ghost. Yeah. <laughs> Sam reminds everybody that you know, he's a pudgy nerd, but he's also the first one who killed the White Walker. He killed the Fen. He's got a wife and kids. And what do you guys have? None of those things. Yeah. Well, really, he's just like, they, they kind of point out to Ed, really. He's, he, he's like, this dude's kind of a like, badass. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ed's like, wow, Sam's a badass. The world must be ending. Yeah. We cut back to Tyrion and Jamie chilling by the fire yes. and talking about their absurd family. And then Podrick and Bran show up. Mm-hmm. Tyrion and Pod have always been down. They are bros. They are totally bros. Remember that when Bronn and Tyrion and Pod were all hanging out, Bronn visited some prostitutes and they gave the money back? Yes. Which always sort of, I think, cemented <laughs> Pod as that dude in, in, favorite, in Tyrion and uh, Bronn's eyes. They're like, we've never heard of that. What the yeah. hell did you do? And I'm going to come back to that in a second. Absolutely. Tyrion offers him a drink. Bran says, no, just a little bit. And Tyrion just pours him this enormous <laughs> goblet of wine. Bro of bros. Man. Yeah, it's so great. And then Davos shows up and yeah. he just wants to hang. And then Tormund shows up and he sees an opportunity to spit game at Brienne. And really? The, he's trying to... He's, he's trying he, so hard. He see, I feel like he almost sees some sort of chemistry between Jamie and Brienne. He, he's he, like, hold on. He's not stupid. They and, call you king killer? They call me giant's bane. Would you like to know why? Uh, Everyone's like, not, not really. really. And then he's like, well, I shall tell yeah, you. And tells this hilariously gross story about killing a giant and then climbing into bed with the giant's wife and then, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, nursing for a couple of weeks because she thought he was a baby. And at that point, Davos is like, drink, please. <laughs> I love it. He's <laughs> This is going to get good and weird, so I'm going to get drunk with the rest he, of you. He takes that horn of fermented goat's milk or whatever and Tormund just and it just sounds gross it's, it's incredible and everyone's gross. just watching him wide-eyed and he just goes giant's milk is what makes me strong and I'm just like clapping <laughs> <laughs> yeah Bran just kind of looks at him like I, I don't know man yeah This episode of Win or Die is brought to you by the Alamo Drafthouse. For movies and showtimes, visit drafthouse.com. We have a brief encounter with Arya running into the Hound and then Beric, who immediately starts talking about the Lord of Light. Arya's like, nope, I'm not spending my last night on Earth talking about God. No, I've got other plans. I've got other plans. She heads to the crypt and runs into... Gendry, who delivers her new weapon, which looks like a very well-balanced dragon glass spear. Yeah, it looks awesome. Possibly with removable head, so she can also use it as a knife. Yeah. And you are reminded that she is... She's a warrior, yeah. straight up. She's shooting the, she's basically just popping bullseyes with a bow and arrow. And I like this as a little bit of a parallel to the scene, you know, when she goes and visits Gendry because she walks in and she sees him like skillfully making a weapon. This time he comes in and, and comes upon her, this time skillfully showing off what she can do. Yeah. 
And then, and we're not going to dwell on this because we're not pigs. And the character in question looked about fourteen, and Twitter went crazy. But Arya finally gets laid, and she <laughs> she basically jumps Gendry and is like, "Hey, have you ever had sex? Because I haven't." And Gendry's like, "I'm just here to like delivering a weapon. I had absolutely no idea this was going to happen." Yeah, and he's like. Yeah, yes, okay, sure. And then we tastefully cut away and all of Twitter goes bazonkers. It's actually a spectacular scene, but mm-hmm. it, it did inspire a little bit of chatter on the internet. Dave Itzkoff at the New York Times noted that there was a massive spike in yeah. Maisie Williams' age. Yeah, I saw that, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, everybody, I think everybody was like, yay, woman taking uh, sexual agency and oh my God, how old is she supposed to be? I don't know if I should be watching this. Yeah, it's just tough. It's just tough when you when you see a character that like I mean she still appears childlike even though I believe she's in her early yeah 20s. she's a regular person but she an adult she's an adult but it's just like well we've been watching you know the character is aged down from what her actual age is right. and we've been seeing her from when she was supposed to be like a nine or ten year old or yeah. something like that and that always will stick with you. that throws people yeah and then we get to the scene that made everyone I know cry like an infant we go back to the fire where everybody is still sitting around a little bit drunk and Tormund is just like going in hard and says to Brianne are you a knight and she says ladies can't be knights it's tradition and he says tradition I would knight you 10 times over which is hilarious <laughs> uh, yeah. and he is trying so hard and Brianne is like what also he is using his privilege to advocate for a female colleague at work which we should also note and then Jamie I don't know if this is out of affection or if it just dawns on him any knight can make another knight and then knights Brianne and Everyone I know who has watched this show and watched this character is just like sobbing at this point. Yeah, it's the most it's fantastic. emotional part. It is so nice it's so to great. see a character that you love get a win and the look on her face well, she does after a- she reluctantly accepts his offer, just this beaming smile we never, on her face. I don't face. think we've ever seen her smile. No. And, it and is, the actress has an incredible smile. I know. And we've never seen because it. Because there's not many reasons in this show to smile usually and here is one and we should just take it and love it and hold it in our hearts, Joe. <laughs> because yeah, because <laughs> it's about to be oh, bad. It's adorable, man. Outside in an epic bit of fan service, we see Liana Mormont finally school her cousin it's short it's to the point it's very funny where jorah's like you should hide and liana's like no absolutely way. not yeah stay healthy i'm out yeah i was expecting her as i as i think i said in one of the previous episodes i was expecting her to really dress him down for his past but instead she just says to him you know i wish you luck i wish you good yeah. fortune yeah in nobody the- nobody wants everybody wants to see everyone live and then Sam approaches Jorah and reminds everybody that he's a class act. He gives Jorah the Tarly family sword yeah. because he's not going to use it. And Jorah's dad, running the Night's Watch, right. was a huge influence on Sam. We go back to the fire and Tyrion suggests that somebody start to sing. Yeah. And nobody can sing. And then Podrick, played by a guy named Daniel Portman, starts to sing and apparently has a fantastic voice and sings this song called Jenny of the Old Stones. And okay, so remember when Pod didn't have to pay for his companionship with the professional sex ladies? I am convinced this is how he got out of it. He just started to, and not intentionally, but I think he probably just like started to sing and they were like, this one's on us. I prefer the other explanation. <laughs> I, well, I mean, sure, but that come he on. Is like, just y- yes, he's just naturally spe- gifted. But now we see side. that he is naturally gifted in many senses. But yes, this song is... 
perfect because it is about longing and loss and and the lyrics say over and over never wanted to leave never wanted to leave which i think shows you know especially in the scene where they're all sitting around the hearth while he's singing they don't want to leave because they know what's coming yeah they know they're all probably going to die and we get this nice montage of these couples we see gendry and aria although i do feel bad for gendry because he's asleep and she's not and that's unfortunate but we also see theon and sansa i loved that shot yeah where they're just sitting there talking and like catching up yeah and i thought that was wonderful and we check in with all of our other like you know subgroup all of our other teams and then we finally end on danny and john in the winterfell crypt john is brooding this is a new kind of brooding because they really have to talk yeah they meet in front of the statue of lyanna stark Danny's like, you know, my brother, Rhaegar, was supposed to be a good guy. A stand-up dude. A stand-up guy, especially compared to the other garbage members of my family. Yeah. But apparently he kidnapped and raped Liana, and I, I, that never really sat well with me. And John's like, yeah, about that. That's not true. My real name is Aegon Targaryen. Danny's not thrilled about yes. that. Yes. She says, that's impossible. And then he says, well... Actually, uh, Bran and Sam told me about that. She immediately gets defensive and says, oh, you mean your brother and your best friend are telling you this? And it's funny that she doesn't even dwell on the fact that it's like, oh, this is the big reveal. I've been sleeping with my nephew. Uh, She actually goes immediately to the political consequences that you have a claim to the throne. She's a Targaryen. That's Tuesday. I know. But it was something that I was thinking about and everyone was thinking about. How is she going to react to this? and obviously it doesn't bother her at all. She doesn't care. She has one goal, and that is to be the queen. Mm-hmm. I'm not unsympathetic to her seven years long campaign for something that this guy can come out of the woodwork and just be handed yeah. just because he happens to be a guy. Yeah. But I'm also not particularly sympathetic because Danny has become an extremely unpleasant person and not in a like dislikable female character kind of way that it's become increasingly clear that she will kill anything in her way, that she's more like Cersei than she would care to admit. At the least compared to John. Yeah, um, who uh, yeah. didn't ask for this, doesn't really want it, but is also, I think, coming around to the idea that if I'm going to lead, after being really dressed down in the last episode for not leading, if you're going to lead... You have to do it. You can't half be a king. Yeah. Robert Baratheon tried to do that, and it was an absolute disaster. Oh, just, uh, a, just a note there, because it's so funny. I thought it was almost like a saved by the horns moment. We are getting to the close of the episode because she kind of says, well, you have a claim to the throne then. And he's like, uh, 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 and then you hear this burp. And it's like, oh, he's probably like Jon Snow's the only person that's relieved that the army of the the dead has arrived. arrived. He's like, all right, we can put, we can table this for right now. (laughs) Let's not, let's try not to be dead. And then uh, we'll come back to this in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So that is the episode more or less. Let's talk about stuff that popped out to us. Why don't you start Phil? Yeah, um, I I noticed this for the first time uh, over the weekend, which was the astrolabe in the opening of the show. If you looked on the side of it, before it had shown sort of events of the far past in previous seasons. But if you look at it this time, it actually shows little bits of 
the wall coming down and then you see the dragons being born and with the uh, opening sequence with like the wall being down and you see the advance of the army of the dead i I think that intro kind of shows that like okay we've kind of been dwelling on the past throughout the show because the history is really important but now we are at a moment where what is happening right now is incredibly important and Mm -hmm. is going to be like writing the history for centuries eons the history the, uh, the, the history of the humans in, in Westeros is right. being written right now. Right. These are major, major events. That's a really good point. Yeah. I also, to just to talk about the Podrick song for a bit, uh, sure. happened during the, they replayed the song during the credits, which I didn't find out until today. It was actually Florence and the Machine. Uh-huh. And then I listened to the sort of extended version of it. I am not a fan of Florence of the Machine, so I can safely say to myself that this is my favorite Florence and the Machine song. <laughs> yeah, I, I do like them. And I thought it was kind of a brilliant reading of the song. It was a very smart reading of the song because she has that sort of Kate Bush vibe where something can sound ancient and contemporary at the same time. I thought that That's was a very true. Very smart yeah. piece of music. And it's also just or being using her is also just points to another thing. It seems like with the first show they had Mac from Always Sunny. They had, I believe his name is Martin Starr from various things. Many, many things. And you know, and so it seems like there's a bit of like star power coming out in for this for this final season. Yeah, it was nice not seeing Ed Sheeran this time around. Or him even being referenced at all. Or him being referenced at all. And, you know, if you had to make a little algebraic equation, I would definitely put the greater than sign next to Podrick over over Ed Sheeran. So one thing that has become a hallmark of this program is a massive online presence of fan theories. Sunday night on Twitter, Monday night on... Sunday night on Twitter is always a lot of reaction gifts, especially to the... Arya Gendry stuff that was absolutely hilarious and kind of wonderful to see unfold in almost real time. Right, and then Monday morning is about. And then Monday morning, and then there's all this Monday morning quarterbacking. This, yeah, yeah. This analysis um, of what's so, happening next. So the the we there were a couple of people that we did not see in this episode that we should touch on: Cersei, Bronn, and Euron Greyjoy. Didn't miss Euron at all. Yeah, that guy. By the less I can see of that doofus, the better. Uh, what do you think is up with Cersei and Bronn right now? Um, Bronze on his way to the north, and I am wondering whether he is going to make it up there, perhaps during this battle. I'm thinking no. I'm thinking he's going to probably stay and wait for whatever the aftermath is, but he's definitely headed up there. Cersei, I assume that she's preparing the Golden Company for some sort of march on the on the north. I mean, that's what I think she would do. She was talking about, okay, let's let the dead and our enemies fight each other, and then we'll come in and do mop-up duty. And so that's what I assume. Have they started making their way up there yet? I don't know, but possibly we might not even see that next episode because i really feel like the next episode is just going to be all winterfell it's just going to be this massive i don't think you have to feel that at all they pretty much announced already that it's going to be an 80 minute battle which makes our jobs like good and weird next week but we'll get to that later excitement uh phil is here for the slaughter Tell me about your theory regarding the Crips. Well, okay. not your theory, but the theory regarding the Crips. Okay, so here's the here's the deal. Over during during this episode, during so many times, 
people just kept on saying, I mean, it must have been a half dozen times. People just say, put him in the crypts, put him in the crypts. The crypts are the safest place. The crypts are the safest place from the dead. The crypts are full of dead people. And that's a fair point. I know. And so it's it's uh, many people are online uh, and myself included from the trailers where you see what appears to be Arya fighting in the in the crypts, people terrified in the crypts. I think that it is pretty likely that you're going to see some form of dead rising in the crypts. Are we going to see a uh, a zombified Sean Bean? Yeah, pop up maybe and... he's got no head so maybe not him oh, but that's a fair you point. know who knows what we're gonna see uh another speaking of the white walkers there's also a theory that bran is next in line to be night king it's actually a little different than that it's that bran is the Night King, and he doesn't know it yet. And so I feel like I I have kind of written off this theory. It seems a little tinfoily for me, but we're going to address it just because during this episode, you know, they really set up that there is some sort of definite connection between Bran and the Night King, and he's going to be right next to a weirwood tree next episode, as he said, which means he's going to be able to connect to the internet or whatever and and, and do what (laughs) he does. The mystic Wi-Fi will be up and running. Right. So here's... Okay, so follow, follow along with me on this theory. So it seems sort of plausible that next episode there's going to be, you know, real moments of terror and desperation. Yes. And so what this theory posits is that during this moment of sheer terror and desperation, maybe Winterfell is about to fall. Bran touches the weirwood tree and goes back in time trying to find some sort of way to alter the course. And so the first stop is the Mad King. And he goes and he whispers into the Mad King's ears, you need to make wildfire and you need to bring it up north and you need to destroy the dead before they're able to assemble this army. Well, that makes him crazy. And so, you know, Bran meddling with his brain, he pulls a Hodor on him, except instead of making him just a sort of one word imbecile, he turns him into this completely insane person that takes this as, oh, I need to make wildfire and blow up all my enemies. Bran says, oh gosh, that didn't work. And so he goes back even further to see how the human humans were first victorious against the army of the dead little too late and finds that he stumbles upon Bran Stark of old from thousands of years ago and he's trying to figure out how they defeated the the Night King back then but doesn't work and so he puts into Bran Stark's of old's head who who's saying I don't know what we're going to do when the dead come back and he says maybe you should build this wall and that's how Bran of old becomes Bran the builder who establishes the Stark dynasty finally in a last fit of desperation he goes even further back to the creation creation of the night king and here's where it gets weird not that it already was, was a little say, weird proceed here's where it gets weird is that he sort of wargs into this human who is bound and about to be turned into the night king and he wants to warn the children of the forest don't do this don't do this you're about to create the ultimate evil but he's bound and gagged he can't say anything as we've seen from the thing and so while he's inside this person's brain he gets turned into the night king and he says well i've really screwed up so i'm gonna head back but as blood raven his mentor the former three-eyed raven told him if you stay too long you can get stuck under the sea it's beautiful but if you stay too long you'll drown well he gets stuck 
And now he's imbued this ice man with this ability to take over people's minds. And since he's undead, he's able to take over the minds of the undead and starts raising an army of his own. And basically, Bran stuck in this guy's consciousness, doomed to play out this sort of circle where the only choice that he has is to destroy himself. It's tinfoily as heck. I was gonna say, so this this theory no longer sounds nuts to you? I I the the thing is just it sort of sets, I, I think it's nuts and I don't think it's true, but they're setting up a circumstance where there's going to be desperate things ahead next episode and Bran's going to be right next to a weirwood tree and he references the sort of connection that they have and it yeah. would maybe possibly explain why the Night King was able to see him and able to touch him and things like that. You know, we branded him, left his mark on him. He says, we have a connection and he yeah. says he wants to erase me, you know, and everything like that. I mean, it, it's it's very, very thin. I don't believe it's true. But we're yeah, here to we're, speculate. We're, we're in the uh, we're in the Pizzagate theories of uh, <laughs> of Game of Thrones at this point. Right. All right. Who do you think dies in the next episode? We got eighty minutes of battle coming up. Who's dropping? My number one lock to die is Grey Worm, and that's because he literally says to Miss Sandy. So once this is all done with, let's go, you know, retire to Hawaii and just have this wonderful existence. She says, I'm in for it. You can protect our people. I'm like, dude, you you uh, can't do that. Man, You're dead. Totally that dead. Would, well, that would be a bad look for a bunch of reasons. But anyone else? Oh, yeah. Brienne, she's going to die. Dude, no, I don't. I'm, I don't even want to think about that, I, frankly. I, well, this is, I mean, the thing is, it's just with her, kind of her, like, character arc seems to, like, have come to a really nice, tidy end where it's just like, That's okay, a reasonable point. You know, so that's why, that's why I think she's going to go down. And I think, as I said before, I think she has to die. And, and Jamie's going to, even though it's going to be the army of the dead that takes her down, Jamie's going to blame Cersei for not having brought her her stuff there as well he should exactly yeah that's that's not unreasonable uh i'm terrible at making these sort of predictions but i'm still going with davos yeah Yeah. i think davos lives you think davos hangs hangs out you know who i else i think dies jorah i think he also got a death sentence basically when sam was like i kind of agree with yeah he's like i'll see you after and he's like Like, okay great i hope we win and jorah's like yep i'm i'm you know yeah and and his cousin liana mormont saying you know Stay healthy. Yeah. I and wish you good fortune, yeah, cousin. I don't think that's going to go well. Uh, one more person I think is going to die is Barrick, just because. And also, I think I have two more locks. One is the Hound is going to live. Yes. Because he's got well, to go you are, fight. You are a fanatical Clegane Bowl stand. Absolutely. And then the final lock that I have is that there will be more jokes about Jon Snow being short. As well there should be. I mean, he's he's a wee little man. Who do you think gets the sword after Beric dies? I think that sword is worthless. So, (laughs) (laughs) wow. I think, I mean, like, I feel like Beric was never, he, I think he's like fool's gold. He's kind of a goofy character. It's kind of, I think, because like the Sword of Fire is sort of this like Azora High sort of reference, the prince that was promised, etc. But like, he's just a nobody. Yeah, nobody cares. Yeah, yeah. So, no, he's going to die and everyone's just going to be like, okay, he's dead. Yeah, there's a reason that Arya's like, I am not talking about God (laughs) with you two losers before I die. Uh, That's it for this episode of Win or Die, analyzing Game of Thrones, the final season. We will be back next week 
with a probably fairly lengthy discussion of what's going to be an 80-minute battle episode. The last four episodes of this show are about 80 minutes a pop. These are four full-length movies that HBO is presenting, and I think there's going to be a fair amount of death in the next one. Yeah, and this one's probably one of the most, this is probably the most anticipated episode out of all of the hype that people have been hearing about this incredible battle shoot, you know, that the longest, you know, shoot ever for a battle scene and everything like that. Yeah, they they were going for the record, and it looks like they got it. Yeah. Thanks very much for listening. Winter Die is hosted by Joe Gross and Phil Jankowski and produced, engineered, and edited by Jane Alexander for Austin 360, the Austin American Statesman, and Gatehouse Media. This episode of Win or Die is brought to you by Alamo Drafthouse. For handcrafted cocktails, chef-driven menus, and programming ranging from the classics to the latest Marvel action, all with zero talking or texting interruptions, there's only one place to go. Alamo Drafthouse, the best film, food, and drink all in one seat. For movies and showtimes, visit drafthouse.com.